welcome to the second episode of the second season of the Provider Payment Mechanisms Podcast. This podcast mini-series is part of the Joint Learning Network Provider Payment Mechanisms, or PPM, Technical Initiative. And in this season, we're virtually diving deeper into some key areas of provider payment mechanisms that we didn't cover in season one. I'm your host, Kirby Kreider. You can learn more about PPMs in season one of this series, which you can find in your podcast feed or on the JLN website. Also, don't miss the other episodes where we overview the current season and dive into our first topic on what we call Big Bang Reforms. But I want to shift our focus back to what we're here to talk about today. This episode will focus on analytics and the core tenet of being a strategic purchaser. And we're going to find out exactly what that means. I'm really happy to again be joined by Salman Tilajav. We were, of course, introduced to Salman during the opening episode. But for any new listeners we have, Salman, can you give us a quick introduction? Thank you, Kirby. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Salman Girel Tilajo. I'm a health economist and policy expert from Mongolia, and I'm really happy to join this podcast to further explore some of the key health financing experiences in JLN countries. Salman, we're so lucky to have you. Last season, we identified a key topic, if you'll remember, within provider payment mechanisms that we wanted to highlight in this season, and that's analytics, specifically the notion of how to be a strategic purchaser or a better strategic purchaser. What I want to do now is bring back a little game that we played last season, for those who might remember. Is that okay with you, Salman? Yes, most certainly, Kirby. That would be a great starting point for this podcast. Wonderful. And we're going to give you two minutes this season since it's packed with such rich and important information and it's season two. But in two minutes, can you explain why are we choosing this as a central theme to focus on this season? So it's the Universal Health Coverage or UHC conference last year. The countries expressed their continuous needs to iterate and improve on the data analytics functionality to improve evidence-based strategic purchases. And as we all know that many countries are aspiring for nice electronic systems, but conference participants agreed that we should also start from where we are now and continue to build on to and do improvements on the health information systems. And you know what else? Uh, claims data and other routine administrative data are often a primary source of this strategic information. And yet, uh, these data are often underutilized because of a probably lack of capacity within the purchasing agency, uh, weak, uh, underdeveloped data systems, or probably the fragmentation in their information systems. Salman, that sounds both complicated and important, but lucky for us, we're joined by two key country voices that will help us break down some of those barriers a little bit. We have Derajay Mengistu, who's the Acting Director of Provider Affairs and Quality Assurance Directorate for the Ethiopian Health Insurance Agency, and Bapbayar Ankbayar from Mongolia, who's a health economist who works with the advisor of the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Finance for Health Economics and Health Financing. Welcome everyone to the podcast. So 
So now I want to dive deeper into the main theme of today's episode, which is again data analytics. Can you, Dereje and Batfire, uh, describe for us your data systems that your main purchaser uses and specifically what kind of data they collect between the who's in charge of collecting this data and how the data use it? I would like to ask Batfire to start. Health insurance general authority has electronic data collection system connected to the healthcare providers and the healthcare providers using the web portal and hospital-based information system. And health insurance general authority, he got claim data and routine health statistics uh, we collected. And we have two different agencies collected this data. They are HIGA and the Center for Health Development. And the claim data is used to review and pay healthcare providers. The review is done for basic process of healthcare providers, such as what's the diagnostics and medicines, hospital inpatient days. And if there is any fraud, in general, the claim data has been used fully for analytics to inform policy decisions. That's excellent. Thank you, Bapayar. I'm curious now how, Dereje, in your work in Ethiopia, what happens to a claim submission? Yeah, the claim submission would be submitted to the purchaser. So the purchaser would analyze and perform clinical or medical audit. Based on the audit, uh, they reimburse for the health facilities. Okay, so once the claims data goes to the purchaser, they do some analysis of the data and an audit, then reimburse the health facilities, the providers. So what do you do with that data besides use it to determine what to reimburse? So we based on this, we, are, we, we, we use for analysis, uh, per capita health expenditure, for health center, for uh, hospital, which regions are more expanding uh, and which regions are uh, medium, which are not uh, low expenditure. So based on this, we analyze and uh, take action for the intervention. Okay, so what I'm understanding is that both of your countries receive claims data for payment, and in Mongolia, this is electronic, and it's paper-based in Ethiopia. What's interesting to me is that even though the data comes through in these different formats, the data collection processes are very similar. Both of your countries are using this data to track what's going on with providers and make decisions and take actions, which sounds like strategic purchasing to me. But let's delve into this a little bit more. I wonder if you can provide any concrete examples of how you're using data to make evidence-based decisions. Are there examples in which you've even decided to change the provider payment mechanisms that you use? Dereje, perhaps you can start? For example, if we take the um, payment modality part, we conclude that we have been using the fee for service for purchase. The fee for service is difficult for the country, especially for the primary healthcare system. So we need to change from the primary center from piece of service to the, the capitation system. So we are piloting capitation payment modality for the next two years. Interesting. So for primary healthcare, you move from a fee-for-service mechanism to, at least for now, a pilot version of a capitation system or a system in which health providers are given a per capita amount for health services. But how about you, Bapayar? Can you share any examples on how you are using data to determine whether or not to make changes to provider payment mechanisms? So when I conducted analysis of 
seen that about the last five years. I observed that there were four types of in, inpatient diagnosis, which 40% of the health insurance fund money was claimed by hospitals. Mm. And so based on this evidence, we made changes into the case-based payment approach and we reduced cost-based for diagnosis in order to provide these incentives to healthcare providers. I think that's a helpful example. I wonder if you have any others to share of how you're making evidence-based changes? On the benefit package, I remember that uh, we covered some of the primary healthcare services to reduce the patient loads in secondary tertiary care. For these decisions, we used data collection from hospital outpatient during high utilization hours. And we identified that people came to the hospital for basic diagnostics and rehabilitation and daycare services. For this can be done by primary healthcare provider rather than people going to the hospital. You both gave excellent examples on how you're using data to be more strategic purchasers and defining how you're paying for services by changing the provider payment system when things weren't working well. You're also looking at from whom you are buying from, as in the case of Mongolia, where you noticed citizens were accessing services that should be offered at the primary care provider, and instead were bypassing them and going straight to the more expensive hospitals. With your switch to capitation payments, you can now link it to referrals so providers receive a reduced payment as incentive. Now, can you clarify for us a bit more about the details of this process, the switch and policy decisions? Did you have any challenges or conflict making this change? Two things. Uh, we had two challenges. And the first challenge is capacity of health insurance general authority. The HIGA doesn't have data analytical skills, and they are not used to share used data. Mm. They collected a lot of data, but didn't use. And the second challenge is uh, related to the quality of data. There, there are various reasons, uh, including poor data validation processes and poor data usage. I should say here that that's something we've heard from other countries too. A lot of them seem to be working with fully manual or partially manual data management systems. Yeah, in our case, as mentioned, most of the health facilities are not convenient for using the electronic system. Mm. So we are, we are using it mostly with manual and then the data management, the information management is, I could say it's poor. So right. it's, it's, it is a great challenge for data management or for decision. So we need mm. to improve in data management. So the great challenge in Ethiopia is the management of health information system and the poor data quality, poor timeliness. If you allow me, I would like to know a bit more about your policy decisions to change from people services to capitation for primary healthcare. I want to yeah. focus on the process part, the region. Yeah, Ethiopia is a federalist country, a federalist country, so regions are autonomous and uh, districts are more autonomous. So based on the finding or the data, agency would be prepared policies, guidelines, and being with regions and uh, gets uh, consensus with the uh, regions. So unless the regions the regions are willing to do or willing to implement any policies, any activities, federal government would not be mandated to implement. 
Oh, wow. So that means there must be a lot of consultation happening between the federal and regional governments before any changes can happen. Is that also the case in Mongolia, Bapayar? And they claim that that was analyzed by researchers and findings were shared with Minister of Health and Minister of Finance. The Minister of Health proposed to change provider payment mechanisms and Health Insurance General Office conducted the stakeholders consultation with the public and private healthcare providers. So there were some resistance from providers and they presented data about the cost of the services and Health Insurance General Authority has provided evidence about the actual cost of foreign patient diagnosis and also showed evidence from increasing some of the key services that should be provided by secondary tertiary hospitals. This is how we resolve the conflicts and the final decision made by Health Insurance Council. Thanks for sharing how stakeholder consultation was used to resolve conflict and smooth change management in Mongolia. We've heard from Derje and Bapayar that changing provider payment mechanisms is a challenging process that needs all stakeholders well-informed and engaged to introduce changes smoothly. But not all is lost, and there were some interesting plans in the coming future to address these challenges. Let's hear from you, Bapayar, about your plans for 2021. So in 2021, and uh, we will uh, start a new law because uh, we did a single purchaser model. means the state budget covers a lot of services, and uh, next year, state budget uh, transferring to all money to health insurance fund. So it means the health insurance is one of the main purchaser single pool right. And uh, also we plan to integrating a fragmented data collection and data management system. Now, as I mentioned, uh, we have the two different uh, data system and uh, next year we will combining only one system. It's the based on the health insurance information system. Derje, what about you? Uh, yet, uh, the pilot goes for trips. Uh, the data system was in a modular way. Uh, it was at the first source outsourced for the uh, other projects. It was piloted in one region, in one district. The premium uh, collection and the community mobilization is uh, being done at the village level. Then they register the information of the beneficiary or information of the member, then it would be thinking to the Warada or district or to the region or to the federal level. Uh, so that system would be linked again with the claim processing systems. First, I want to wish you and your countries the best of luck. I want to also quickly highlight some of the key lessons and takeaways that I've heard from this conversation that other countries might use in their own data analytic systems. First, it's important to start with what you have. Electronic systems can be expensive to design and pilot, but we can't forget that significant change can happen with the older systems that are already in place. I think, Derje, you illustrated this well when you showed us that by improving the manual paper-based system that's already in use, you set your country up for a stronger, more robust system in the future. Another point that I think is important is that we know that there are many sources of data, and both Derajay and Bapayar highlighted this, streamlining all of these different data systems and harmonizing all of the different indicators can reduce the duplication of systems 
and can ease the burden for the health facility staff who are collecting the data and the health management information system teams, HMIS teams, who are collating and analyzing the data for decision making. The third summary point that I'll offer is that we learned it takes time to develop automated routine data collection, but if we have a clear strategy and use small incremental steps for improvement, we can create system-wide improvements. Bhatbayar, you showed us this when you talked about HIGA's capacity. You're still facing challenges of data quality, but with the introduction of a new IT system, you're hoping to link systems in the long run for more accurate and timely data. You found that data analytics help you to improve data quality. As data analytics procedures improve and as decision makers that use the data improve their ability to analyze data, then every day, every year that goes by is a chance for the data to be continuously improved. So the bottom line is that countries need to continuously, tirelessly make efforts towards better data analytics. And finally, it comes back to being a strategic purchaser and becoming a better strategic purchaser, which does not happen overnight, or in our case, after one conversation. It's a journey that needs a culture of continuous improvement and data use. We need to make sure that the best decisions of what to buy, where to buy, and how to buy are made. These aren't light decisions to make, and they have to be really ingrained in the DNA of the purchaser. I just want to thank you, Dereg and Patpayar, for sharing your experiences from Mongolia and Ethiopia. It's been really great to listen to and explore and learn from you guys. And hopefully our listeners have felt the same way too. Thanks. Thank you. Yes, I need to echo Salman's thank you as well. And a big thank you to Salman for leading the conversation on analytics. Hearing from country voices about actual experiences with these different themes of provider payment mechanisms is what this podcast is all about. And it really provides, I think, priceless insight and lessons to think about for all the other countries that are listening and that are working on these issues. One more reminder, as you listen to this episode, if you had any questions or thoughts throughout it, please email them to us. We'd love to hear them. The email address is jlnppm at r4d.org. That's the number four or send them in through the anchor.fm platform. And we'll try to address them in the final episode of this season, which is going to be all about answering your questions. We truly, truly hope this podcast becomes part of your joint learning. And that as you listen to it, you'll take these experiences from countries and contextualize them and bring them into your own work. I hope that you'll also follow us, subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast, like us, review us, all of those things. And again, reach out to us with questions. The link to that email address is in the description of the show. We're really, really glad to have you on board with us as a listener for season two, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See you next time. Thank you for all that. Bye-bye.